Welcome to New Life. Glad everybody came today. Hey, if you would, just go ahead and find a seat. That would be amazing. Uh, I just want to first off uh, start by saying my name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors on staff here, and it is a privilege to have you here worshiping with us today. Um, If you are a guest with us, please uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming out today. I know you could have picked a whole host of churches Um, But you came to one of our New Life venues, and I thank you for walking in today. You're currently in our main auditorium. Uh, I also need to say hello to all of those that are worshiping with us in our venue, uh, which meets down in our gym. There's a large group of people that are down there as well. I have no idea what kind of numbers they have right now, but it is amazing. And I need to say a big hello to all those that are worshiping with us live right now out in North Platte. And God's been doing great things out in North Platte. It's awesome. Yeah. Glad to have all you guys with us. So no matter where you are, a guest worshiping with us today, we've got a number of things to help you in all of our venues. We've got ushers that are there. Uh, This will kind of be personal assistance for you. If there's anything they can do to help you, that's great. We have children's ministry for all of our venues. We'd ask you to please take your children and uh, plug them into that. Uh, It's a much better environment than our adult-friendly main auditorium um, and worship venues. And then I also want to encourage you that if you're a first-time guest with us, to please fill out one of our contact cards and then take it to uh, the information center that is right out in the lobby. So if you would do those things, that would be awesome. I have one more thing. Are you guys ready to celebrate? I mean, seriously, take your hands, warm them up. I don't want anybody to hurt anything, all right? You know what I'm saying? I don't want you to hurt anything. All right. All right, that was a good warm-up. That was a good warm-up. It was kind of like the, the, the stretching before the workout, all right? Last week, we had a fantastic week here at, uh, at New Life. In fact, uh, something happened that has never happened in the history of New Life as a church, that on a normal Sunday, right, where we weren't paying people to come, like the other Sundays, and if you're a guest, you're like, what? When are those Sundays? Just joking, all right? Just joking. We don't pay people to come. But on a normal Sunday, outside of... Easter, you know, we've had big Easter's outside of Christmas, outside of um, our last children's program, where we just have tons and tons of people that show up. A normal Sunday, no no uh, flare, no flash, no nothing. We're just one church, multiple occasions coming to worship, and we broke a threshold. We we broke through the glass ceiling, and we reached a thousand and nineteen people. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's fun. That is fun. There's no turning back from there. No turning back. That's, uh, we've, we've been over a thousand multiple different times, but um, we've never done that just on a typical normal Sunday. I want to thank you uh, for being a part of our church and for reaching people. Uh, we're not just about numbers, but we do believe numbers equate to people's stories and that people's stories matter to God. So if you want to know why I celebrate numbers, it's because every number is a story and every story matters to God. All right? So that's, uh, that's my lineage. That's where I come from. And uh, I want you to be able to do that with me as well. So thanks for being at New Life. We're going to continue our current teaching series called Essentials. And we're going to jump into today. If you have a Bible, you're going to want to open it up or take your U version and open it up. Uh, we're going to be looking at Exodus uh, chapter 2, 3, and 4 today. As we look at the story of Moses. Moses, yeah. Um, if you, I mean, some of you guys know from the Moses story from way back. Others of you, you're like, who in the world is Moses? That's cool. That's why I'm here today, to take you on a journey to know who Moses is and why his life is so important and why his journey is important and why that journey can relate to you today. So to get started with that, have you ever felt disqualified or have you ever lacked confidence 
that, uh, to do something that you were asked to do. Anybody other than me? Yeah, I think if you're all honest, you would have to say, yeah, absolutely. There's been times in my life when I've been asked to do something, I didn't feel qualified to do it. I didn't feel confident to do it. And maybe you didn't do it. Um, and I understand that. You know, when I was a kid, my dad would ask me to do things to help stretch me, to help me become the man that I want to be. And sometimes I would tell him, I can't do it. And that nice little, little itty bitty boy, Jeff Baker, you know, uh, voice. Uh, I can't do it. Man, there's something about I can't do it that when, as a father of four adult children now, if you told me I can't do it, there was something inside of me that went, oh yeah. We're, we're going to show you, all right? I'm going to help you understand why you're going to do it and why you're going to like it. And maybe that's why I went into the military. Uh, I don't know if that was it or not. But you, when I said I can't do it, man, I guarantee you my dad was going to try to help me figure it out. But when I said I can't do it, there was something bigger that was going on. And inside of me, I might throw a fit, you know, like, ah, I can't do it. Drop to the ground, toddler, kind of kick and scream. That was maybe still happening at 13. Who knows? Um, pouting. You know, you get that look on your face and, you know, your face gets long and you start getting the, the crocodile tears so that maybe mom will see you and say, now, you know, dad, don't make him do it. You know, so you're trying to find, you know, pity from others or you would change that happy little attitude into that, you know, stubborn mode. If you're a parent, you know what I'm saying, where your kid turns from angel to demon like instantly and you're wondering what's going on with your kid. So you might, you might do that. But I just remember feeling like at moments, like... I just want to give up. I can't do it. I, I, I'm fearful of whatever it is you're asking me to do, and I don't want to be a failure. I remember one of these moments, you know, specifically. We were at my grandparents' lake where they lived, which was awesome. We'd go there during the summer in Illinois, and cousins and aunts and uncles and even my dad, you know, climb up on top of the boathouse because then it was like a boathouse. There was a roof on top of it where they parked. It was like the garage for the boat. And we would climb up on top of that thing. We would run across it and then just jump into the water. And it was a blast. It was like a toy built for kids that doubled as a garage for a boat. I mean, that's what we turned it into. So we would run off the top of that thing and jump into the water, right? Well, I remember my dad challenging me to do that for the first time. And guess what I said? I can't do it. I can't do it. I want to die. You know, uh, I can't, it's, it's, I'm, I can't, I'm too scared. And I remember my dad getting me up there and, you know, bringing me to the, telling me to walk to the edge. And he was down in the water going, just jump, just jump. We could, I can do this. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to jump in that water. And as soon as I jump off this thing, some fish is going to come up. Its mouth opens. I go in, you never see me again. Right? I become catfish bait. And I, that's like what's in my mind. I just can't get that out of my mind. you imagine how many hot summer days I missed having fun with everyone else because I said I can't? I don't have the confidence. I'm not qualified to do that. Until the one day when I finally jumped off the top of the boathouse. And then you couldn't get me out of the water. I mean, I would run across top of the boathouse, whoosh, into the, into the water, swim back to the shore, climb up, off the top. It was just like nonstop. Hey, Jeff, it's lunchtime. I don't care, right? So now it's like just jump into the water. I mean, I couldn't stop playing on that thing. Now, as fun as that is, today we've got way more important things to deal with than what happened just in our childhood. Today, you know, what happens today if you miss God calling you because you disqualify yourself, you lack the confidence, and you're unwilling to follow him. Way more important than 
jumping off of a boathouse. If that's your solution, I'm, playing, I'm going to play it safe. I'm not going to take your challenge, God. I'm not going to take what you're calling me to do. I'm, I'm going to play it safe. Then you're going to miss out on some of the most incredible things of Christianity. You're going to miss out on the power of God working in you and working through you. You're going to miss out on having your hands on some of the most amazing things, which is growing God's kingdom versus just growing your own house or your own little world. Growing God's kingdom is amazing. It's rewarding. It's fun. It is a blast. It's some of the best stories you're ever going to tell as you grow older in retirement. In fact, as you grow older into retirement, growing God's kingdom never ends. Although the work of your hands might end, growing God's kingdom never ends. So it's something that when you give your life completely to God and you say, God, I'm willing to go anywhere you want me to go, do anything you want me to do, and you don't disqualify yourself and you don't just walk around with a lack of confidence, but you put your complete trust in God, all of a sudden things that were impossible become possible. Things that you never could dream about now become something that becomes, that's probable. That's where Moses finds himself. Moses, in this sermon today, finds himself in a situation where God's challenging him to follow his call. And Moses is having a hard time seeing beyond his failures, seeing beyond his inadequacies, having a hard time seeing himself be qualified for what God's asking him to do. Moses suffers with a supreme uh, view of of, uh, a lack of self-confidence. His self-image is way low compared to what God's asking him to do. And if you've ever found yourself in any kind of situation like that ever before, or maybe you're dealing with something like that right now, this sermon is going to hit you between the eyes. So we're going to jump in. We're going to start looking at uh, Exodus chapter 2 to kind of give you a backstory, if I can. And, and the beginning of chapter 2, Moses is born. He's born in Egypt to the, uh, the, to the Israelites. Um, he, he is an Israelite. He is a Hebrew, and he's born in Egypt. And at that time, the Israelites are under oppression by the Egyptians. They've been there for the last few hundred years because Joseph was there. He was a Hebrew. And then his father, Jacob, and their brothers, they moved there, and they brought some of the clan with them. And then the the Israelites have been growing in Egypt over these last hundreds of years. They've been growing in population so much that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is scared of them. He's saying these guys are populating so much, and they're so strong, and they've got their act together, that what would happen if they grew so large that they defeated us, they conquered us? What if an enemy, you know, came to attack Egypt and the Israelites decided not to fight with us but against us, we would, we'd be down for the count. So the king, Pharaoh, makes this decree. He says, what's going to happen from now on until I tell you otherwise is all of the babies that are born male, you're going to take them out and you're going to throw them in the Nile River. Crying and all, just launch them into the river. And all of the baby girls, we're going to let the Israelites keep and they can raise. Basically, he's trying to control their population because of his fear. So this is when Moses is born. Can you imagine being a woman, being a family unit for that matter, and then all of a sudden your wife comes to you and says, I'm pregnant. Oh, I mean, that would just, you know that if this baby is born a boy, you're going to have to throw it into the river. That would, and how do you hide the fact that you're pregnant? 
And then those that are trying to follow out the decree of Pharaoh, are they going to mark you? Aren't they going to go, man, she's getting pretty large. She's getting ready to pop any day. Let's keep an eye on her because if that baby's a boy, then we know what we need to do. And sure enough, Moses' mother, boom, here out comes this baby boy. It says in the Bible that she tried to hide him for as long as she could. How many of you guys have ever had kids? I mean, come on. How long are you going to hide a kid? Even a baby. A baby sleeps a lot, but when a baby's awake, what's a baby doing? Pooping and crying and eating. There's not a lot going on there, right? And if, they don't, if you don't deal with the first two, there's a lot of the third, a lot of crying, all right? So she says that she hides him as long as she can until she realizes, I can't do this anymore. You know, if I don't take action, they're going to come take the baby. They're going to throw him into the Nile River. I just can't see that happening. So here's the mother of Moses. Let me tell you something about her. She is an incredible woman. What an amazing woman who comes up with an incredible plan that is, that's fostered deep from within inside of her passion, her love, and her devotion to the son that God's blessed her with. So she, she has surveyed the situation, and she makes this basket out of reeds. She puts, you know, the tar inside and on the outside. She's going to make sure my baby survives, and I'm going to go place him in the Nile River. Except she knows exactly the special place she wants to place Moses. So she walks down to the river, and she takes the basket, and she puts it inside the reeds so that the current can't sweep Moses down the river. And she does it at a very strategic place. It happens to be the place that Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of Egypt goes to bathe on a regular basis. And then she takes her, her daughter, which is, would be Moses' older sister, and says, you go stand at a distance and you watch and you wait to see what happens. Tell me what, tell me what takes place when the princess goes down. Because the princess is either going to pick up the baby and follow out dad's decree and launch the baby into the river, or she's going to hold the baby, swaddle the baby, and go, I'm going to raise this baby. And sure enough, man, the princess picks up the baby and says, I, I want to raise this baby. Moses' sister sees this from a distance, comes immediately walking over as to offer services. Like, I noticed that you've just found a baby in the reeds. And would you like me to help you? I can go find a Hebrew mother that would come and help feed the baby and even help raise the baby while the baby is, is young. Would you like that? And the princess said, Absolutely. So where do you think Moses' sister runs? Right back to her house. Mom, mom, mom. Hey, this is awesome. She got the baby. She's going to raise it. It's going to be amazing. You got to come with me. He brings her over there. Moses' mother gets to feed the baby, nurture the baby, take care of the baby. And guess what, moms? She got paid to do it. That's awesome. She gets paid to do it all the way till the time where the princess, she adopts Moses into the family. Now, Moses recognizes quickly, early on in life, he's a sharp kid. Hey, I, I'm not like you guys. You guys are Egyptians. I'm a Hebrew. All of my clan is out there getting slave-driven. All of you guys are living the plush life. What's going on here? That starts growing inside of him. This, like, big question starts turning into frustration and he you know he doesn't really know what to do with this he's out one day and he's walking among his people while they're being slave driven while their population is being controlled and they're out there building things for the egyptians and moses sees this poor behavior by this guard towards some of his own people and he lashes out and he kills the guy now before he does that he looks 
He looks not just both ways, he looks all four ways. This is way deeper than just crossing the street. He looks all around and sees, does anybody see me? Is anybody watching? And then, bam, he strikes this guard. Meditated. He thought it through. This is not just emotion. Oh, emotion built to the point where he gave himself the freedom to kill him. But then he thought it through, and he's looking around. He kills the guy, digs a hole, buries him in the sand. Doesn't think anybody sees him. The next day, he comes walking out, and some of the Hebrews are saying, hey, here's the, that's the guy. That's the guy who killed that guard. Moses hears this, and it says in the Bible that fear started filling his heart. Why? Because he knows he has to be accountable to the most powerful man in the land, Pharaoh, the king. He lives in his house, by the way. Sure enough, what do all, what do all reports do? They all, they all go up, and they end up in the ear of Pharaoh. Pharaoh hears about it, and he decides, I'm killing that grandson of mine. Moses hears about it and goes, no, you're not, not today. I'm heading for the, I'm heading for the desert. Moses takes off, and he heads for the desert. While going into the desert... Deep into the desert, he runs into, he runs into these daughters of a Midian priest. And they're there at this like, um, well. And they're trying to get water for themselves. They're trying to get water for their sheep. And they're getting bullied by other shepherds. Shepherds are supposed to be quiet, peaceful people, not bulliers. Moses steps in and goes, hey, guys, back off. These girls are getting some water, and I'm going to help them. Right? These girls are... The daughters of a Midian priest, and the Midian priest, check this out, because it's, cool, it's one of the coolest names in the Bible, other than Jesus, Jethro. Yeah, come on. I mean, that's a cool name. That's a cool name, Jethro. Still cool to this day. I dare you. I dare you to name one of your kids Jethro. I dare you. All right? So Jethro, cool name. I'm going to mention it a few times because it's worthy of coolness, all right, to mention it. All right. So Jethro is there, and he's like, whoa, hey, this guy helped you? He just came walking, and he just helped you? Bring him over for dinner. He comes over for dinner. He stays for a while, and Jethro, come on, I know you want to say it. Say Jethro. Jethro. Right, right. And we're not, some of you are old enough like me to flash back to, yeah, Beverly Hillbillies. I knew you would do it. I knew it. I knew that's where you would go. And all the younger ones are like, man, those guys are ancient. Don't even know that show. All right, so be careful because I'm only 45. I'm not ancient of days just yet. Jethro brings him over, stays for a while, and he offers one of his daughters to be married to Moses. Moses decides, yes, I'll take you up on that deal, has a family. And then the, the end of chapter two happens where God says, I have noticed that the people have been in oppression, that the people have been crying out to me, and it's now time to take action. Exodus chapter 3. Moses is found, and he is now, he's now reached the epitome of all, you know, jobs, occupations. He is now a sheep herder, and he's taken Jethro's sheep out to the backside of the desert, where he winds up at the foot of a very important mountain, Mount Sinai. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, um, and if you don't, that's cool. That's why we're going through this teaching series. But if you, if you do, then you would know that Moses meets God on Mount Sinai later on. You know what happens when he meets God on Mount Sinai? He gets the Ten Commandments. There's a big moment that happens there. Moses doesn't meet God at Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And that's his first visit. He goes back there because something significant happens. While he's out in the desert, he notices that a bush is burning. 
So he is intrigued by that, like I think any of us would be. He starts walking up to this burning bush. As he gets closer and closer to it, he can see that the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed by the fire. And then he notices something strange. He notices that the angel of the Lord is as if it is cloaked in the fire. Like there's this silhouette, but I can't really see his face. I can't really determine what it is. But it's as if the angel of the Lord is cloaked in the fire. So, man, that intrigues him even more. And he wants to even get closer. And as he starts to get closer, God notices this. And then all of a sudden from this burning bush, which completely intriguing him, comes this booming loud voice. And that's where we find ourselves starting the story in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. That when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. And all of you that went through the walk through the Bible, what do you do? Moses. All right, and if you weren't there, forget it. All right. Um, Called him from the middle of the bush, Moses. And then here I am, Moses replied. I mean, can you imagine this? I mean, just think of yourself. You're out there, you're in the middle of the desert. You've got all these sheep with you. And there's this bush that's burning. That's the first, you know, weird thing. Let's be honest, all right? That's weird. And then you get this bush that speaks by name. He doesn't know it's God, by the way, yet. He hasn't clued into this whole thing. All he knows is a bush is on fire and the bush knows my name. Now, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Like, what are you really doing out in the desert, Moses? Where'd you get this whole story? A bush and the bush knows your name? Because that's all he knows at the time. He gets shocked by the fact that this bush, which we know, God is in this fire. He's speaking to Moses. He gets shocked by the fact that this thing knows his name. What's God trying to do? He's trying to tell him, I know you. I know how special you are. And that's what God's wanting to say to you and me today. I know you. I know right where where you are. I know what you're dealing with. I know everything you wrestle with, which leads me to essential truth number one. God knows your name. Yeah, but I'm not Moses. I don't end up in the Bible. I know, but wait until you hear this message today. You're going to find out Moses, you might just be stronger than Moses right now in your own faith than when Moses is at this current moment. So don't glorify the man. We glorify the God who empowers the man. God knows you, and he knows right where you're at. He knows everything that you're dealing with. Just like the psalmist said in 139, when he said these words, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. Listen to this. You know when I sit down and or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You might feel like Moses today, like you're on the backside of a desert in a dry place, in a place where you just don't even hardly know where you're at spiritually. You could feel like you're more lost today than you've ever been. You need to know something today. God knows that's where you're at. And he knows you. And he can still call your name, even if you're on the backside of a spiritual desert. Even if you feel like you are the most drained. Even though you feel like you're the most lost. You're more lost right now than you've ever been before. You need to know something today. God knows you're on the backside of a spiritual desert. And he still has the authority and the power to call your name. In fact, he's doing that even right now. You might feel like you're just a lowly sheep herder. Like, man, what's my life? My life doesn't amount to anything. Yeah, Jeff, I'm just a new Christian. Or Jeff, I'm just new to this church. Or... You know, I mean, I, you, 
I'm not a pastor like you, man. I haven't been able to study God's word like you do. I'm a welder. I'm a mechanic. You know, I'm just a secretary. You know, or I'm just a school teacher. I didn't, I don't have this powerful call to ministry like you do and the staff do. But you need to know something today. God has a plan for you. He knows you right where you're at, even if you are the lowly sheep herder. That's where Moses was at. But you also might feel like you're on top of the world today. You got the world by the tail, and man, you are completely in charge. You need to know something. When God calls your name, it better stop you in your tracks, cause you to humble yourself, cease everything you're doing, and capture your full attention. Because that's how Moses responded. So no matter where you are today, I know something. God knows your name. He knows where you're at, and he knows what you're wrestling with. And there's going to be nothing more transforming for your life than to hear his voice and respond with a simple yes. That's why you're always going to hear me say, and you're going to hear our campus pastor say, that if God's dealing with your heart, please don't ever feel like you have to get up and walk out of one of our auditoriums. If at the end of this service, God's speaking to your heart and God's drawing you to himself, the worst thing you could do would be get up with the rest of the crowd and just walk out of those doors. Here's Moses at the bush. It's on fire. God knows his name. He speaks his name. If Moses just ignores it and walks away, wouldn't that be one of the most foolish things he could do? Yes, of course it would be. It would be completely foolish. It's the same foolishness for you and me. When God's dealing with our heart, don't walk away from that. When you're in your personal devotion time or you're, you're spending some time in prayer or you're at your desk and all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit starts to speak to you, the worst thing you could do would just be blaze right into the next meeting. The smart thing to do would be close your door, stay in your car, be a couple minutes late to your next appointment because God is speaking to you. That's a powerful moment. Don't miss those moments. Back to the story because something radical is going to happen for Moses. It's not just going to be a bush. It's not just going to be a bush that knows his name. It's way beyond that. And all of a sudden, the next thing he hears God say to him is, Moses, stop right where you're at. Don't take another step. You are standing on holy ground, a holy ground of which you know nothing of. Take off your sandals even. This is holy ground. And then, all of a sudden, God says something that lets Moses know, you are God. You're not just a burning bush that knows my name. You are God. Look what, Mo- look what Moses hears from God. He says, I am, Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Why does he cover his face all of a sudden? He's standing there, wide-eyed, big eyes open. He's, he's been staring at this fire for who knows how long. He's just glazing, glazing into it. He's, he's obsessed with this fire. And then all of a sudden, God says something to him that lets him know, I am holy. I am powerful. I am righteous enough that Moses may have dropped to the ground and pulled his cloak over him and covered his own head and his own face before God. What is it about? The, what, what did God say to him? Basically, God is telling Moses, I am that I am. That might not make a lot of sense to you, but it means a lot to Moses. Moses knows exactly what he's saying, especially when he gives him the lineage. I am the God who made a promise to Abraham that said, you will have your own land and I'll fill it like, the, like with so many descendants, it'll be like the stars in the sky. 
And, I, and I'm continuing that promise down to his son, Isaac. And I'm going to continue that. And I've been doing it, Moses, because you know the history. I've been doing it in Jacob's life, his son. And Moses could even finish the statement and say, and you did it through Joseph, Jacob's son. And then all of a sudden, Moses realizes what's going on. God, the God who made this massive promise and has been keeping it through all these generations enough that the population of, Is- of the Israelites have been growing in this oppression underneath Egypt to where Pharaoh wants to kill them because they've got too many. And then Moses realizes, you want me to be a part of your promise, don't you? He realizes, I'm standing in the presence of the Almighty God. And then God says to him, I've heard the oppression. I've heard the cries of the Israelites. And I've got a plan. It's time, basically, that it's time for them to find their, their independence. It's time for them to become a nation to themselves. And I, I'm telling you right now, it's the very first time in, in written history that man probably stood up and went, Amen! You can imagine Moses standing there, hearing God speak out of the fire, going, I've heard the oppression of your people, Moses, and I, it's time to take action right now. And Moses is going, Hey, man, listen, you're talking to the right guy. I mean, I don't know if this was purposeful or was planned, but, I mean, you just showed up down here on this earth at this very moment to meet with me, but you're talking to the right guy. I've got a lot of stories. In fact, can I share some names with you? Because there's some guys that are really worse than the other ones, and if we're going to go, let's take care of them first, right? In fact, I even killed one of them, so you've got the right guy. I'm your informant. I can give you all of the lowdown. I give you the backstory on the whole thing. I've been gone for a while, but I'm pretty sure it's all operating the same. I think Moses is probably standing there at this moment going, you got the right guy, I'm your informant. I can give you this information. But God's got a whole different plan. And in Exodus chapter 3, the next words that Moses starts to hear is this, now go, for I'm sending you, Moses, right, to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, my people Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses does what? He goes from, amen, I'm your man, man. I can fill you with all the information you need. Give you names, phone numbers, places. He goes from that to what? Protesting. Yeah. Protesting God. What? Me? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? You want to use me? Are you, are you serious? You want to send me? Do you even know me? I mean, if I walk back in there, I'm going into jail. I'm a criminal. I killed somebody. Do you know what I'm doing? I've chosen a peaceful, quiet life. I hang out with sheep, man. That's what I do. You sure you want to use me? And God says, I will be with you. Well, okay, I got some more in my pocket. And he pulls out another excuse. And he says the next excuse to God was this. Why would the Israelites even want to listen to me? Do you know me? You, don't, you must not know my backstory. Because I was one of them, and then I was raised in Pharaoh's house, the one who oppressed them, the one who killed their children. I'm guilty by association. I walk back in there and tell them to follow me. I'm going to be the one thrown into the Nile dead. And then God says to him, you go back there and you tell them that you have met with, and you are on the orders of, I am that I am. That means everything to the Israelites. For them, there was a word they used to call God that only they used, and that was Yahweh. I am that I am. I, was, I am the Alpha, and I'm the Omega. I am the beginning, and I am the end. 
I am the God who's gone before you. I'm the God who is with you. And I am the God who's going to see you into your future. I am the God who created all things. I am the God who gave you the promise through Abraham. And I've kept it through Isaac and Jacob and even Joseph and now through Moses. I am that I am. I am Yahweh. That's what God tells him to go back and say. Then God goes on and tells Moses, and by the way, I want you to walk back, and I'm going to send you right back into the court of Pharaoh. I want you to look Pharaoh straight into the eyes, and I want you to basically say to him, let my people go. But just so that you know, Moses, he's going to say no. However, I'm going to help you. And over time, he is going to say yes, because I'm going to move in such a miraculous way of which you and me know now becomes 10 plagues that God uses against Pharaoh to get his people set free and to convince Pharaoh, you don't want these people staying here any longer, right? So after hearing this radical plan, guess what Moses says back to God? He says this in chapter four. But Moses does what again? Well, how many times has this been since, I mean, how many times has he protested now? You know, again, Moses protests again. What if they won't believe me? What if the Israelites won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you, Moses? What if that happens? One of the things that you need to know today is that the essential truth, number two, is that God, God's calling always comes with empowerment. And here's what, here's what God does. He tells Moses, Take your wooden staff, and I want you to throw it down to the ground. Staff, right? It's what he uses as a shepherd. He throws it down onto the ground, and guess what it does? It turns into a snake. Now, now here's powerful, mighty, warrior, leader, people. We look back into the Bible, and we go, man, if I could be like Moses, it would be awesome. Because when when the rod got thrown down, it turned into a snake. The Bible literally says that Moses turned, and he ran. He ran. I mean, I, I envisioned to myself this rod drops down and this snake, this instantly, this massive girth of a snake, you know, with a head that just rises up. And the next thing Moses sees is he lays it down and he gets this. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what I envision. And I see a man just running like as fast as he can. And God calls him and he says, Moses, get back here. Get back here. Now what I want you to do, I mean, maybe God didn't say, like, get back here like that. But, I mean, come on, let's put it into our terms today, all right? Get, get back here, man. Pick that snake back up. <laughs> no way. Uh-uh. I've been, uh, this is a bad trick. I've watched some other dudes do this before, and they died. But, no, God says, you pick it back up. And he reaches down. He picks it up by the tail, because that's what God told him to do. See, God's smart. You know, because, I mean, If God doesn't like you, he'll tell you, pick it up by the head. So he liked Moses. He liked Moses. So he reaches down. He tells him, pick it up by the tail. He picks it up by the tail. As soon as he picks it up by the tail, guess what it does? Yes, you got it because you're smart people. It snaps right back into the wooden staff. All right. Pretty cool trick, God. That's amazing, right? Now, I guarantee you, you got that staff in your hand now, and you know the power of that staff. And at any moment, it could turn back into a snake. You may not even want to touch that staff to the ground again. Because you want that thing turned into a snake right inside your hand. I bet you that this is the first moment in history, this is my speculation, the first moment in history that man started to have a lazy eye. 
Moses probably keeping one eye on that staff and the other eye going this way. All right? It might be here, but this eye is on that and this eye is out there. That's probably where it happened because I wouldn't take my eye off that staff. I would not do it. I would not do it. All right? So can you imagine even trying to sleep now knowing what that staff could do? You go into your little tent, you set the staff up next to the tent wall, and the wind's blowing, right? And you're laying there, and you're like, uh, oh, man, I hope that thing doesn't fall over. Because, I mean, if that thing falls over, what could happen, right? Imagine waking up in the morning, and this, you can't find your staff. Where my staff? It's not good. Not good at all, all right? Take care of the staff. I mean, anyway... So God tells Moses, Moses, you go back and you show the people this thing, and they're going to follow you. And Moses is like, I bet they will, because if they don't follow me, I'll be like, you guys don't want me to throw my staff in your house. I'll throw my staff in your house. So made me do it. So made me do it. So God also says to him, he goes, now Moses, listen, if they need more, here, here's more, all right? So what I want you to do, Moses, is I want you to stick your hand inside of your shirt. So Moses sticks his hand inside of his shirt. Well, it's probably, yeah, probably this hand, so... Stick it inside of his shirt because he's not going to let this thing go. You know that. So he sticks his hand inside of his shirt, right? Out comes his hand, and it's white like leprosy. It's sick. It's like it's dying. Like now he has leprosy. You imagine that? Now he's like trying to shake that off and still hang on to this stick. I mean, he's like really like, well, how do I wipe this thing off? I don't want leprosy. And as he's freaking out, God goes, Moses, cool. Chill out, man. Really, you're not going to die here. This is all going to be good. Stick your hand back in your shirt. He does it. He pulls it back out. It's healed. Then God says, I want you to go to the people and I want you to tell them that I sent you and these are two signs that they need to see to prove the fact that I am with you and I'm going to lead them out of, this, out of this oppression. Oh, and by the way, Moses, if that doesn't work, I got one more for you. Take some water out of the Nile River and if you need to, this is the last resort, but if you need to, you pour it out onto the sand, it's going to turn into blood instantaneously. Talking about God empowering you to do things. God just gave Moses three things he's never dreamt of, seen of, heard of in all of his life, right? You would think at that moment, wow, if God's for me, who can be against me? Let's go make this thing happen, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't you think that just at that moment you would just go, okay, God, this is amazing. I can't wait to see what else you got along the journey. Because if this is what you're willing to show me now, what's going to happen later? And this man full of amazing faith that we look back and we go, what an incredible dude. This is what he says to God. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never, I, I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. You've shown me all these things, right? I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Verse 13, Lord, please send anyone else. Wow. Seriously? How much more does God have to show you? How much more does God have to say to you, Moses, for you to follow out God's plan for your life? But let me tell you what's happening for Moses, because it's the same thing that's happening for many of you. Moses is getting hung up on his past failures, and he's getting hung up on his, on his lack of confidence in himself. Moses is standing there. He's hearing everything that God's saying to him, but he's flashing back, and he's going, but I killed that guy. He's flashing back, and he's going, but I've never really been a good orator. He's flashing back, and he's going, I've never really led anybody. He's looking at his current situation. He's going, I'm just a shepherd, man. I mean, who am I? I'm nobody. This is my future. I'm going to live the rest of my life out in this desert, and I'm going to die. 
That's all that Moses can see. That leads us really to essential truth number three, that God, only God qualifies the unqualified. There's nothing, absolutely nothing in your past, nothing written down on a book of your past that's going to keep God from accomplishing what he wants to do in your future. There's not a decision that you've made in the past that can keep God from doing what he wants to do in the future other than your current decision today to decide to have a lack of obedience to God's spirit when he's calling you. Your lack of obedience to God's spirit today, if Moses would have said no and just walked away, that would have been the end of the story. Moses probably doesn't even make it into the Bible. And in your life, there are moments where you're missing it because you would rather say no to an all-powerful, mighty God that's going to stretch you and cause you to maybe do some things that, and go some places that, and give in a way that maybe you've never dreamed of or imagined. But I'm telling you, it's the best for you. But you're giving it all up because you don't see yourself qualified. I want you to know today, stop looking at yourself as if you're disqualified. Every single one of you that hears my voice today, that can see my face today, you need to know today you are fully, fully qualified to do everything that God would challenge you or ask you to do. But we need to bring some balance to that. 2 Corinthians says this in chapter 3. It says that it is not, it is not that we think that we are qualified to do anything on our own. Read this last part with me. Our qualification comes from God. So yes, you are completely qualified to do what God's called you to do. But you just need to humble yourself and realize, I am nothing without God. I am absolutely powerless without him. I can't go anywhere, do anything, or say anything that's going to make any difference without him. He is the one who qualifies. And I'm telling you today, you might feel like you're unqualified, but God qualifies the unqualified. Let's finish this thing up. Back at the story, God says to Moses, okay, I'm the one who qualifies you. And he says this to him. Remember his response? Like, I can't speak. What am I going to say? God says, the Lord says to Moses, who gave man his mouth, Moses? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. That's what God's saying to you today. If he was able to meet Moses with his unqualified, lack of confidence mood that he was in and help him see, I'm the one that's going to empower you. You need to know today, you can come and lay your past failures on these altars in just a moment when our worship team responds. When they're singing, you can come and you can kneel down like so many did this morning. And you can lay your life down and go, these are my past failures, God. I'm giving them to you so that you can use my life for something great. I don't want these past failures to keep me from missing out on your future. You can come to God and you can say, God, these are the excuses that I've used to stay out of ministry. These are the excuses like Moses pleaded with God four or five times. These are the excuses I've used that I'm no good at this. I'm no good at that. I got nothing to offer. You know, blah, blah, blah. Excuse after excuse after excuse. Come lay those down. Don't let your human excuses keeping you from doing something supernatural that God's empowered you to do. Come today, and at altars like this, lay down your stubborn moments of resistance. Those moments where you just dug your feet and you said, I'm not going to go anywhere. This is where I'm going to stay. I've, I think I've stretched myself enough. I think I've given enough. I, I, I think that, God, I have served enough. Other people need opportunities. And you dig your feet in with resistance. 
Bring those opportunities to God. Repent of those. Lay them down and say, God, forgive me. I am your servant. Whatever you want to do, do it through me. Some of you, you just need to come and lay your life down. You've used excuse after excuse to keep yourself from following God. And you said, God, you don't exist for this reason. God, you must not love people for this reason. God, you must not be real for that reason. And you've used all kinds of excuses. And today is the day to lay down the excuses. Give your life completely to God. Surrender it to God. Here at our church, we have a number of things that are already in place to help you grow from that moment to where God wants to take you. But you've got to come to a place where you're able to surrender and say, my life is not my own, God. I'm laying it down before you. I want to follow you. In wrapping this thing up, you need to know today, everybody's, everybody's called. I know that in the church world, if you've been around the church world, we use this word called like for pastors. I'm telling you, everybody has a calling God's called every single person to do something for his kingdom, and I don't want you to be left out. In wrapping up my message today, I would like to quote from you from from an old-time preacher, William Booth. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. And in one message, he said something that I felt like you needed to hear. He says this, Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think that you should say. But What I want you to do is put one ear down to the Bible and hear God bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of hell. Put your ear down to the burdened, to the agonized heart of humanity and listen to its wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned beg you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and their sisters and their servants and their masters not to come here. Then, go look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Not called, you said. William Booth challenges us to flip it on its head. Not heard the call yet. So you might be sitting here going, yeah, I don't really sense God's direction. It's just that you haven't heard it yet. Where should you be? Well, wherever you are, look for the burning bush. Look for the Holy Spirit. Find God's presence, and you're going to find God's call. Guess where you're at today? You're at the burning bush. You're, in, you're at a moment where you're in the presence of God. Not called? Just not heard. Been called? And not following it, it's time to respond to God. It's time to respond to God. It's your move now. My time is done. My question to you is how are you going to respond to God? Why don't you stand with me? Jesus, we thank you. You're the one who qualifies the unqualified. Father, we thank you that you're the one who empowers us to accomplish the call on our lives. And all of that's possible because you know our name. You know us. Lord, for everyone that can hear my voice this morning, may they be reminded that where they stand right now, you know them. You know where they're at. You know what they're wrestling with. You know their name. You know them in an intimate way, like the psalmist said. And God, you are calling those who consider themselves to be unqualified to do extraordinary things for you. And it starts first with laying your life down. 
laying our life down to you and then following your call. Lord, for those that feel distant, for those that feel like there is no call, may they be encouraged today that they just haven't heard the call. And may we walk ourselves into the fire of your presence today. May we be intrigued with it like Moses was intrigued with the fire. May we be intrigued with your presence, intrigued with your spirit. And may we make a move towards you today. And as we meet with the I am, as we meet with the all-powerful God, would you speak to us? Would you send us on our journey to do the amazing thing that you have designed for our lives to advance your kingdom in our day? We know it's our move. And may our church make a move towards you in this time of worship. Amen.